going on uh, something going on yes it's movies on a friday and uh, james marsh joins us now um with marsh on movies how are you sir uh very well how are you doing i'm doing fine yeah yeah um nice to have you on as ever on a friday and uh, always a great clutch of movies coming up what have we got uh, today in prospect Okay, well, there's a couple of things out in the cinema and a couple of things on Netflix. For some reason, it seems like a, a little bit of a quiet week in the cinemas. Uh, but there's a couple of things I do want to flag up uh, on Netflix to begin with. The first is Love and Monsters, uh, which is a... So I suppose you'd, you had have to call it like a YA, post-apocalyptic adventure, romance... Uh, it uh, stars uh, Dylan O'Brien and Jessica Henwick, who people might recognise from sort of the Maze Runner and the new recent Star Wars films. Essentially, this is Earth in the near future, and there has been an apocalyptic event. Uh, there was a an asteroid was heading for Earth, so the military launched all of their rockets at it. Uh, it worked, blew up the rocket, but then it showered the Earth with sort of chemical uh, toxins and agents which mutated all sort of lizards and insects and all the rest of it into uh, Love sort it. Of very large um, <laughs> cannibalistic well not cannibalistic but um, carnivorous monsters and right. so we, we pick up the action seven years later and everybody, those who have survived now live underground in, the, in bunkers and we meet Joel who has a bit of a um, uh, a courage problem. He's not very good with confrontations. He freezes up if ever he has to face uh, any monsters or anything like that. And despite the fact that the the fellow survivors he are he is with uh, like him just to stay in the bunker at all times and do the cooking and what have you, he resolves finally after all this time that he is going to uh, set off on his own across the land, very dangerous territory, uh, to find his girlfriend, mm. who ended up in another bunker, sort of a hundred miles away. Uh, everybody says that's a crazy idea. You're no good outside. You're going to die. And nobody comes with him. But he sets off. And along the way, he meets a dog. And he meets a couple of other survivors who sort of take take him under their wing and sort of train him up in how to survive in this monster apocalypse. Um, so, I mean, this has got sort of echoes of all kinds of things. There's a bit of definitely a bit of sort of zombie land in there uh you know you're living in a sort of a very dangerous everyday situa situation and he's learning like and imparting this sort of life lessons along mm. the way i mean he narrates the story uh through a, a diary and letters that he's writing to his girlfriend that obviously he's never going to get to send her uh, and he and he's a bit of an artist so he's like sketching uh, monster designs and all the rest of it i actually thought that this was probably based on a book and i looked it up and actually it wasn't i was quite surprised to find that this was what's called a, a spec script this was just like written out of, out of nowhere because it's, it's really got that sort of feeling of you know something akin to uh sort of the hunger games or Di divergent or the maze runner of which dylan mm. o'brien the actor here was the was the star um so it sounds, a, it sounds a bit over the top so far you don't mind me saying it's just even more than yeah. normal <laughs> yeah no it's a kind of pretty sort of ambitious pretty crazy idea and i uh, i'm su not surprised to learn that actually the script had been kicking around for a number of years because it's also quite expensive it's got a lot of um sort of visual effects required for these sort of mutated uh creatures you know there are giant bugs giant frogs giant worms and slugs and all that kind of stuff so if you're not into creepy crawlings you're going to have a bit of a <laughs> a bit of a problem here but what i was taken by were just how likable the characters are they can occasionally 
potentially be quite irksome, these sort of young, adult, love-struck you know, heroes. Uh, but he's he's a very sort of likeable character. His girlfriend, what we see of her, uh, she seems, you know, uh, dare I say, worth worth the risk. So you know, to go out there. And the effects work has been really good. It's actually been nominated for best visual effects at the Oscars this year. Wow. Now this was this was supposed to obviously come out in cinemas about a year ago, mm. but obviously because of COVID, it got delayed and then got a sort of a platform release in the US uh, late last year, and now. The rest of the world gets it on Netflix uh, just just as of this week, and I was very pleasantly surprised. It's got echoes of, like I said, a bit of Zombieland, a bit of a boy and his dog, uh, the classic sci-fi movie from the seventies based on the Harlan Ellison stories. Um, there's a bit of even things like holes in there as well, uh, you know. And I was just sort of surprised. It's got a good sense of humour. The effects are very good, likable leads, like I said. Uh, it was, yeah, a pleasant surprise. I think is the way to put it. And although it's Although it's you know involves a lot of uh, uh, sort of uh, shall we say uh, high risk situations, it's it's pretty family friendly. I think it's it's gooey rather than gory. So uh, and it has a great dog performance in it, and they're oh. always worth watching. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, we, we look forward to that. Sounds good. So that is Love and Monsters. Now, before we go to the next one, I have to take you to task. I oh. have to take you to task on behalf of Mike Kennedy, who's written to us. And says the following. Brace yourself. On, <laughs> I am. On the basis of James saying that, quote, it featured Hong Kong and was a load of fun. Oh, dear. Which film is he talking about? My it's, wife and I, I went and saw <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong. Unfortunately, it was anything but fun. In fact, we thought it was terrible and certainly didn't enjoy it. Another couple said it was, quote, utter meaningless drivel. If there was anything perhaps of note was possibly the fact that in the massive destruction of high-rise and other buildings, it appeared that the Bank of China remained unscathed. Maybe the word had already spread, but there were only five people mm. in the showing we sat through. Uh, any other views? So there you go. Well, other other opinions are available, as they say. You know, um, I don't know what you expected from a Godzilla versus King Kong movie. I mean, for me, that's it. It delivered. It delivered Godzilla, and it delivered King Kong, and they they fought repeatedly. And <laughs> you know, I got what I paid for, as it were. I think. Um, what, what, what do you expect in a movie like this? That's what it is, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I I think I did admit that you know the the human characters aren't really worth uh you know anything and the the human storylines aren't really there a number of the plot threads involving human characters uh, you know could have easily been just cut out completely like the 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 pod conspiracy podcaster and millie bobby millie bobby brown's character and what have you but you know you go i think you go to this movie if you go at all you go to this movie to watch you know a giant lizard find a giant monkey mm. and if if that if that's not enough then you know what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do apologise, but not really. Not really. No, I think that, Mike. I think it's Godzilla. I think you know we kind of expected that. But th but thanks for the comment anyway. We appreciate absolutely. The, we appreciate the feedback. Now let's cram in a couple more before we do uh, the news, and then one after. Uh, what do right. you want next for us? Okay. Well, I was I was just talking about the great dog performance at the mm. centre of Love and Monsters. Now there's mm. a documentary out in cinemas at the moment called Stray which basically follows a number of different stray dogs around um, the uh, the streets of Istanbul. Now, 
this was something I didn't realise, but Istanbul and and all of Turkey, to be honest, they have a there's a government mandate that you're not allowed to harm or uh, contain, imprison, or otherwise impede on the livelihoods of stray dogs. Mm. Uh, now this is an, has been an ongoing evolution, uh, political evolution over the last sort of hundred or couple of hundred years ago, and it's worth sort of having a bit of a deep dive and seeing what the origins of this law are, and they're quite fascinating in their own right. But what the film does is it literally just presents this as this is the way it is, and then over a period of sort of days and weeks follows a couple of these dogs around town as they sort of weaving in and out of uh, commuters and weaving in and out of the traffic, you know, seemingly without a care in the world and just following their sort of day-to-day struggles. Uh, you know, it's photographed uh, very sort of close quarters. I'm not entirely sure whether... Um, any of this was done using kind of sort of remote controlled cameras, although the the, the the drone cameras that they use in nature docks, you know, where they're trying not to disturb the animals as much as possible, or whether it was just camera cameramen, camera women uh, following them around. But you get a fascinating picture of contemporary Istanbul, of course. Uh, you you do obviously cross paths with a number of human characters there are a, a gang of young um, Syrian refugees who are also sort of living rough and without sort of make it drawing any sort of overt comparisons the film does sort of show their lives and their daily struggles alongside those of these dogs and uh, I, th- I think the point that it's trying to make is that the, the dogs get a much better deal than or are treated much better by everybody around them than these uh, these poor kids who who are trying to live in exactly the same way. Um, so I mean, I thought it I thought it was a fascinating piece of work. Um, it should be pointed out that the director Elizabeth Lowe is um, I, I believe she hails from Hong Kong. I think she's actually here at the moment, and I think she is in an att- in attendance. At the screenings that they're doing at the Broadway Cinematheque right now, I think it's just doing sort of a few screenings. It's not like on everywhere every day. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere on social me- on her social media, I think it was, that she said that she is going to be doing some Q and A's at every screening she attends. So this is and a it's a documentary, right? This one. This is a documentary. Mm. Abs- yes, mm. yes. Uh, <clears throat> and it just follows these uh, these dogs around as they, you know. Uh, a sort of uh, brace, you know, against the elements, you know, against the weather, against the traffic, against people, uh, trying to find something to eat. But it, it does a great job of capturing the personalities mm. of these different dogs, and also uh, you do get a sort of a feel of what uh, of what the city is like, and you, you catch sort of snippets of conversations between people. I was listening to an interview with uh, the director on on um, on another radio channel. Dare I? There are, no, there are no other radio channels. There are, I, know, I don't know where I heard it. I don't know where I heard it. But um, she revealed that it was quite liberating for her because once they had established that they were there to follow the dogs and, and observe how the dogs were interacting with people, uh, everybody around them kind of sort of let their guard down a bit and just started talking. You know, they were talking in... Um, in Arabic or, or whatever and so they just assumed that she wouldn't understand what they were saying anyway mm. uh, 
And so they just carried on with their conversations, and and those conversations, those snippets of conversations from different people have been since have since been subtitled right. for the viewer of the film, and it's fascinating. I mean, there are couples, there are couples in the middle of sort of a lovers' tiff. There are people complaining about work. There are people talking politics, even, <clears throat> and they're quite candid in a way that I don't think they would have been had they known that they were going to be sort of on camera. Mm. Mm. But really, you know, this is a story about about dogs and it is a story for dog lovers um and i think it's sort of it's it's sort of impressively captured i know there was a a similar film a, a year or two ago that came out called i think it was called keddy or caddy which was about stray cats also in istanbul which obviously seemed to ex um endure through a similar sort of policy and tolerance um but this film sort of exists you know independently on its own and i think for anybody who does like like dogs uh and i i am a self-confessed you know i am a dog lover absolutely yep. yep um it's well worth watching there's a brilliant sequence at the end where they're listening to you hear the, the call to prayer come over you know the morning call to prayer come sort of emanating from the mosques and the dogs start joining in <laughs> and I thought that was what sort of howling, sort of, howling along. Yeah, just sort of howling along, <laughs> along with the um, with the uh, would it be Aman? Yeah, who's uh, who, who who's who's singing away? Uh, and it's it's a sort of beautiful sort of interactive moment at the, to sort of cap the film at the end. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I was I was very surprised, very sort of accomplished, and it's done so without any kind of narration or over contextualization or anything like that. There are just a few title cards that come up at the beginning just to establish that. There are like a hundred thousand stray dogs in Istanbul, and they're essentially left alone and can do what they like. And yeah, we just follow them around, and it's uh, it's it's, it's, it's sort quite of, it's sort some life-affirming piece of work. I mean, it sounds great, but it sort of sounds a bit low budget in a way. You know, you kind of go, well, it can't cost much to you know have a couple of cameras following some dogs around and uh, make something nice out of it. But um, it's certainly the, the the opposite end of the budgetary scale to love and monsters that i was just talking mm. about for example mm. for sure but i think you know i think there's always there's always a uh, a time for capturing this kind of sort of slice of life and the fact that it isn't even people that mm. we're observing i think uh, it, it needs to be pointed out that um that there are no great moments of uh tra there are no great tra traumatic uh, altercations here because often in this kind of film you know you're just waiting for the moment when someone kicks the dog or worse or the dog gets hit by a truck or something like that and that can be incredibly upsetting you know in a fictional film or sure. in a real film and i can say you know nothing nothing terrible like that happens uh that's good however there there are a lot of um yes yeah, of genuinely sort of moving and interesting incidents and i i was incredibly sort of immersed in it and drawn into it by it uh you know you do get a real feel for who these dogs are uh, you know and what their personalities are like they really come sort of come through without the need for anything to be sort of yeah overly put into any kind of larger context or anything like that mm. it's just a great sort of little sort of slice of life snippet of just the existence and as someone who lives in Kung, where there are lots of stray lots dogs of stray everywhere yeah yeah yeah. And you kind of get to get to know some of them. It was fascinating to, to see, shall we say, their Turkish cousins. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, uh, that is called Stray. Um, right. We've got three minutes. Let's uh, let's cram in. Uh, you've got two more to do, right? I so have two more to let's do. Let's cram in one more now, and then we'll come back after the news and do the big one, right? Okay. Well, yeah. Um, all right. Let's do Night in Paradise, which is a Korean uh, thriller from uh, Park Hoon Jung. It's 
essentially a kind of mashup of two different genres. On the one hand, it's the sort of hitman on or gangster on the run movie. Right. Uh, you know, it's a young sort of hot-headed lieutenant who feels he's been wronged by the other side, and with his boss's blessing, he goes and attempts sort of a hit on the the opposition's leader, causes bloody carnage, uh, and is th- then must go on the run. So he's sent away to Jeju Island, down off the south coast of Korea, to lie low. And there he meets a young a young girl who has a terminal illness and a bit of a death wish, and she's also kind of sort of trigger happy. She's the niece of a local gun runner who has agreed to sort of put him up, and so she's a, got a bit of a sort of nihilistic worldview. Uh, he realizes that his he might not have too long left on the clock, if you like, and they find some sort of um, consolidation in each other. You know, they sort of, they realize that they are two sort of perhaps star-crossed lovers at a at a, at a, uh, a crucial juncture in their time. And we, we know as viewers that the clock is ticking and sooner or later the bad guys are going to find him. You know, that's just what the movie is. It's only a matter of time. But so what it does is it mashes up this idea of the sort of the gangster on the run with the terminal illness romance. These are two very sort of normally very separated but very quintessentially Korean uh, genres that that take place uh, that are very sort of prolific and here the the directors decided just to sort of mash them both together it's it's very I'll say it's very formulaic and it's very derivative I mean you know exactly what's going to happen and where it's going even as they do try and push two different kind of movie together but that is not to say that it's without its, uh, the its word, charms the word contrived comes to mind here is it uh, well, sure, every every movie is contrived to some degree. I would say it's I would say it's um, you know, for, formulaic. I think is the thing. Okay. It's, it doesn't really do anything new. We'll be polite. But um, <laughs> if you like if you like your, your teary eyed dramas or your stabby stabby gangster movies, then this does both. This is on Netflix as well. You like a good you like Paris. a good Korean movie, don't you? I do. Mm. You know, when when they're good, sure. Mm. And this one is is not bad. You've kind of seen it before, but it, it does the job. So tell us again what it's, what it's called. It's called Night in Paradise, and it, that's on Netflix. Night in Paradise, absolutely. And uh, so in a moment, we're, we're just going to break for the news, and then we'll come back and uh, do the final big one. What, what is the final one we're going to do? It's another Korean movie. There's okay. no doubt it is the biggest movie out this week, and it's called Seobok. Okay, back with James in... Radio 3 is just after 12.30 and we're in the middle of doing uh, Marsh at the Movies and uh, James Marsh is with us. James, so our final big one for this week, what have you got? Right, uh, Seobok is a uh, Korean sci-fi thriller and is uh, very much the the big film out this week. It's it's a quiet week, but this is definitely the big one. Uh, It stars a couple of very big Korean stars. You've got Gong Yu, that people should recognise from Train to Busan. And you've got Park Bo-gum, who is a sort of young, up-and-coming heartthrob in a lot of the K-dramas that seem to be sort of ubiquitous right now. So uh, Gong Yu plays uh, Ki-han, who is a sort of washed-up former special forces agent for the government uh, who's been sidelined because he's got a brain tumour uh, that it gives him chronic headaches and is, is inevitably eventually going to kill him. Uh, he is sort of dragged out of... Um, so almost off his 
off his deathbed kind of thing. He's you know he's really not in a good place uh, because they they need the government needs someone to babysit uh, the first human clone, who is a guy called Seelbok, uh, played by Park Bo Gum. Uh, the the secret uh, sort of research centre where they have been uh, raising him so far uh, is is under threat. There's been a terrorist attack on it, and so the government are going to take him to a new location, and they need a guy by his side to protect him. Obviously, there are all number of different sort of governments and special interest groups who want to get their hands on this guy because his genetic makeup, his um, stem cells, his DNA or whatever, uh, might hold the key to essentially to immortality, to curing all diseases, stopping aging, you name it. Uh, he's incredibly valuable. Uh, however, he has also been starting to develop kind of telekinetic, perhaps even superpowers. Right. So, uh, no sooner does Kihan and Siobhan hit the roads than they are, uh, you know, their their what's it called? Their convoy is attacked, and they find themselves on the run. And Seelbok is out in the wide world for the very, very first time. So it's kind of a road movie. It's kind of a buddy movie. Uh, but it has this kind of very sort of ponderous existential kind of cloud over the top of it. Um, with Seelbok, you know, he wants, he wants just to live. And he realizes that his whole sort of purpose in life, if you like, the reason that he's been created is so that he must die so that others may live. Kihan is feeling very sort of conflicted because he, he is also facing his own imminent death from his brain tumour, and he only took the job because Seobok's DNA will be able to cure him, but only at the expense of Seobok's own life. But it, that's in quotations, because is Seobok really alive or not? You know, what does it mean to be alive? How Can you weigh one life against that of the others? You know, it all gets incredibly sort of existential and philosophical. Um, at the expense of uh and you know being dare i say of being entertaining uh, you know oh dear. Grinson, oh dear yes unfortunately yeah uh you know it, you have a character who is essentially a sort of a burgeoning superhero perhaps even a supervillain you know it's a bit akira it's a bit x men it's a bit this it's a bit that you know he is a he is a lab rat who is sl st slowly starting to realize that he has he is more powerful than the people who are containing him and have captured him you know, and if he can get a handle on his powers, he could be, you know, the the ultimate being, if you want, for good or ill. You know, he's incredibly potentially dangerous. Um, you've also got all, uh, like I said, all of these very sort of dangerous uh, secret organizations all sort of vying for control of him. Instead, the film, you know, wants to sort of talk about the philosophical side of things uh, rather than just be a sort of shoot 'em up, be a sort of. See uh, effects heavy adventure movie uh, that it kind of teases at but only really gets to at the end um, Korean cinema has been obviously incredibly successful recently uh, you know not least at the Oscars but also just you know generally we just talked about how prolific K-drama is everywhere uh, the one genre that they've let yet to fully really get a handle on is science fiction because when they've tried it in the past, there's a couple of films like Natural City or Fabric City or uh, recently Space Sweepers, which is a big Netflix production. They can't help themselves but just but spend a lot of time sort of setting up a sci-fi concept or premise. 
but but then getting distracted by the human drama. You know, this is often the case in all kinds of Korean movies: is the melodrama and the the human. Um, tragedy has to come first it has to be all about sort of family and all about sacrifice and revenge and grown men crying and that you know that has to come above everything else and it it gets in the way of the sort of the bigger ideas about i know you're a bit of a sort of sci-fi guy as well you know about the bigger ideas of the potential yeah. of of the science itself and the development and even the moral questions about the development and it gets it always gets too bogged down with the sort of the human element of it and it sucks it invariably just sucks the fun out of it yeah is that is that a cultural do you think do you think i think i think it is i think because mm. you see it you see it in sort of almost every genre they they tackle i mean you look at the you know they do a lot of action movies they do a lot of gangster movies um and invariably that's always just about you know one man has been wronged and betrayed by everybody and so is willing to sacrifice his own life to make a point and to and to to right that wrong and it, it always gets very sort of emotional very melodramatic and obviously the, the other big thing they do is sort of the terminal illness drama so actually i wanted to talk about this movie sort of alongside night in paradise which was the other korean film i just spoke about because they're in many ways they're actually quite similar you know if you strip away whatever the genre is supposed to be it's about mm. two people who are both sort of essentially terminal you know whether they're sick or whether they're just in the too much trouble and they know that they're you know they're going to get bumped off sooner or later who have been thrown together on on a road trip and they have to they're given the time albeit limited together to weigh up what it all really means and what's the worth and what 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 kind of legacy are they going to leave and and is it has it been worth it and all the rest of it and so on on that level they're both you know telling very very sort of similar stories albeit one in a sort of slightly sort of lower budgets slower pace sort of indie indie movie down in Jeju Island but in this case it's it's a much sort of bigger sort of starrier affair um so I have to say that you know it ca- it came with a lot of fanfare and with you know with these big stars and with a big budget and it does eventually you know reach a sort of a, a big sort of effects heavy superpower heavy kind of climax but I was, I've got to admit, it it was rather disappointing. It does spend too much just pondering these existential questions rather than just, you know, levitating things and blowing stuff up and, uh, <clears throat> you know, or, or even really examining uh, the repercussions of these kind of genetic and cloning uh, advances that mm. they have taken. So kind of so, a, missed, a missed opportunity, do you think? That's how I felt about mm. it. Yeah, it mm. was a it was a real missed opportunity, and and in you know and in doing that, it's just kind of dull. It's long and it's just a bit boring. <laughs> okay, I think we got the one. <laughs> thumbs down for that one, right? See Unfortunately, yeah. oh dear. So just so go through them. So what about Stray? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Stray, I really liked, and I think Dog Love is everywhere. Mm. Will will respond to it. And if you do, if you are interested, try and catch one of these screenings that are playing in Hong Kong over the next couple of weeks because the director will be there, and uh, she gives a, she talks about the film very well. She's very eloquent about her work, yeah. and so that'll be well worth checking out. And then Love, um, Love and Monsters. <clears throat> Love and Monsters was great. You know, if you like a bit of sort of family friendly sort of. Family fantasy sci-fi fantasy uh that really was a pleasant surprise a night in paradise is as i said a formulaic and violent but uh quite technically assured sort of gangster romance mashup 
still some good stuff there on the on the radar for us this weekend potentially um some good material to get our teeth into um as ever james marsh thank you very much for uh, our friday afternoon lunchtime bout of movies uh, have a good weekend at the cinema thank you you too all right cheers thank you